Look, mate. Three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullSplitterDice.com slash Show and use the coupon code TOMESHOW with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for August of 2019. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in a full book club style. And our book this time around is Star Wars Aftermath Empire's End, because, you know, we missed having books with three titles. <laughs> our next episode, we will be reading Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, the classic first book of the Dragonland series, which, as I recall, Tracy, you've never read Dragonlands, right? I don't believe so. So this will be a return to middle school for me and, and, a, and a first for you. And I don't know what, where Eric's at on this. I also read it like in early high school. And speaking of Eric, <laughs> with us as always is Eric Paquette. Hello, bonjour. <laughs> bonjour. We're going to talk about the third book in the Star Wars Aftermath series called Empire's End. The third and final book in that series telling a story of what happened after the second Death Star was destroyed in the new Star Wars continuity. So as we get on to talking about Star Wars Aftermath Empire's End, I want to remind people that this is a book club style discussion, so we will spoil the book. And because of the nature of what the book is, um, it may be important to, to point out that it's very possibly also going to spoil information uh, or what give you information that may be con- you may consider spoilers for certain movies that may or may not even be out yet. Is that fair to say, guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I was thinking about that a lot as I was reading it. Right. And if I recall correctly, this book came out in 2017. Okay. Now that we've said the spoiler warning, the spoiler, the biggest spoiler to me, was kind of hinted at in one of the trailers for the upcoming Star Wars movie, yes? Are we thinking of the same one? Refresh my memory. The the Emperor, Palpatine being around. Yes. Because in the in the trailer for um, the was it Rise of the Skywalkers or Skywalker, whatever it is, um, at the very, very end, you know, the, the screen goes to black and you hear the, the voice of the Emperor laughing. Yeah. So this book um, has some potential spoilers in that regard, so 
Right. And there also was a little bit of discussion that I than I typically seen about Leia's ability. It's okay if we're just going to talk about the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah. Uh, I'm going to spoil everything in the first few minutes. <laughs> Leia's ability to use the Force. Yes. Although that was more of a... It was more hinted. Like, she wasn't doing a lot with the Force, right? No, but because I've already seen the movies, it really stood out to me. Yeah. And knowing yeah. the fallout from the movie, like, people's reaction to it, when right. it's like, well... We don't think she'll ever be as strong as Luke with the Force, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> right. Well, and there, were, really and there was a lot of things uh, about, and I guess we're just getting right into it here, yeah. without even talking about the story, but there were other things here where um, there, there, this, the big battle scene, there were so many things that happened during that big battle scene that I'm like, oh, that explains that thing that, that like, I didn't wonder about, but... That's cool, you know. Yeah. Right. So I suppose we could get we should get into the story, and then we could sort of put all those things in context. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, why don't you tell us what the, what this book is about? Well, we continue. We get back to our band of heroes of Nora, Temin, uh, uh, Mister Bones, uh, Sinjir, Josh, and John, as they are on the hunt for. Uh, Ray Sloan, the imperial, the imperial. She was the uh, emperor for the a while, but now she's well, no longer. She, she was like the highest-ranking person left in the empire. I don't know that she ever took yeah. the, the title of emperor, but she was like grand, grand admiral Sloan, right? Yeah, the grand. Yeah, true, the grand admiral. So she basically equivalent of emperor, but without the actual title. Mm. But and Darantan, because of what happened in Chandrilla in the previous. Previous issue. Well, previous book. Right. Although you say that they were they were gathered together to, to hunt down uh, Grand Animal Sloan, but they weren't really together. No. Because, uh, oh, was it John wasn't there at all? He, like, doesn't show up till like, halfway through the book. Yeah. In its entirety. Um, a bunch of them were kind of together and got split up pretty early on. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but basically they are arriving at uh, Jakku. They are they see that they see that there's a bunch of of the Imperial fleet that's there, from what it looks like to be the complete Imperial fleet. Right. This is and the Empire now. Yeah. Uh, all at Jakku, which is on the border of. Nondescript planet, basically the Tatooine of course, but we know Jakku from if you've seen Force Awakens. Uh, and what uh, happens is that Nora goes into a uh, escape shuttle with Jas, and they they leave towards Jakku. Uh, Temin sends Mister Bones. To protect his mom, mm -hmm. and then that's where the group splits up into right. different areas. Because where... because Nora just can't give up the idea of letting Sloane get away. She's yeah. down there on the planet, but they're way outmatched. They've got to run away, so she sets the hyperdrive so that the rest of the crew will be forced to run away. But then she jumps in an escape pod so she can keep hunting for Sloane. Yes, and uh, Jas jumps in to be her backup and 
Temin wants to go, but he knows that he's the only one who can pilot the ship reasonably, so he does his best to send the next one that was possible, which is Mr. Bones, his droid that he made and has a really fun attitude. If you ever... Have you guys ever... As a side thing, have you guys ever played the Ratchet and Clank series? I have not. No. There is a... Uh, uh, there is a character that uh, Mr. Uh, a robot that you can summon, and he, uh, he. I was imagining his voice a bit for Mr. Bones like with that. So. Oh. Anyways, see, I didn't have to imagine his voice because I had the audiobook. And, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Star, yeah. Star Wars goes all out and brings in a cast, uh, and so they all have different voices. Excellent. So, so he reminds me a lot of Claptrap from Borderlands. Yeah, Claptrap, but but with the capability of pulling off violence. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and then so we have the party split, and the party that's not on the uh, on Jakku is suddenly now involved in politics. Yes. <laughs> right, because that's uh, Sinjir and Temin. Uh, it's basically just them, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and if I'm if I'm not mistaken, in my mind, uh, Sinjir kind of became the main character of the story for big chunks of it, didn't he? Yes, he was the main character. Basically, it was because most of the book was involving the politics of of where because Mon- Monmata has an opponent for becoming Grand Chancellor. And he gets involved in the whole affair because they're they are revealed the information that look we know where the where all the imperial is we need to send the attack and attack them mm-hmm. so there is a vote that is happening but there not everyone not all the senators in the new senate are voting yes and there's five of them that don't are not voting so and they're trying to investigate what is. Being done. Well, presumably there were more than five, because seldom in a Senate well, can, fi- can five votes <laughs> change things, yeah. except they were close enough that those five votes tipped the scales. Yes. And those five votes, I guess, sort of surprised them, so they thought they could... They So Sinjir got got heavily involved in sort of figuring out what was going on and and, yeah. and taking care of things so that they switched their vote back. I found the 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 politics in terms of the 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 race that Mon Mothma was in uh, was interesting. Um, and I, I and, and clearly there's some some vague sort of um, analogies um, between the what's going on in the book and, and real world politics, right? Yeah. Um, which yeah. is pretty standard Star Wars, even though, as Tracy pointed out as we were chatting before the recording, um, some people were quite upset about that. Yeah, and and I always find it interesting how people get upset about it because, and I know it wasn't necessarily well known, but the original Star Wars um, was written as an allegory for Vietnam and was intended to be somewhat critical of US, the U.S. role in that, in that conflict. Right. Um, it, it was an inherently so, political story from the get-go. Correct, yeah. So however you feel about that part of it, like it's always, politics has always been part of it. I mean, when you look at the scroll, the roll screen at the beginning, the scrolling, it talks about trade wars and uh, politics there too. So it's right. kind of interesting. 
maybe not the very first i can't remember all of the different ones but right, right. a lot of them have have heavily talked about the senate and everything else oh yeah, yeah well it's always oh, there's ahead. always been in the scroll the heavy influence about the the civil war that is happening between mm-hmm. empire and rebel which is political structures that are just there in this universe of the st- right well, the galaxy, and and while Star Wars movies are are, are tend to be more action packed, they're always set in this context and this allegory of of politics. Anyway, mm-hmm. like that's that's always been true, right? Yeah, the Empire is is the representation of tyrannical racist governments that you know was sort of intended to be a critique of a certain style of political thinking. Um, so the idea that, and, and that was, you know, not just in the opening scroll, but, but thoroughly laid into the, the context of the whole story. Um, so the idea that, that um, this book got a lot of attention for getting political seems strange to me. Right. And then, the book was published in February 21st, 2017, and the main reason I bring it up is that um, talking about that fact that Star Wars had already, always had kind of a subtext going on, I it did feel like there was some t- subtext with some very current political stuff in addition to whatever else might have been mm-hmm. part of the genre or the, the uh, setting for Star Wars. Um, so, Are you talking about like, the Mon Mothma race? The campaign, uh, I'm or? actually more talking about the um, what's his name's uh, speech. <laughs> I the, think the, on Jakku. The opponents. Oh, oh, the um, yeah, yeah. Right, right before all heck goes. Uh, Rax, Gallius Rax. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the way that he was, the push of like, trying to frame what the rebels were doing in a way that was about the continuity of the empire as a culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really like made my ears perk up. Well, and it's also worth noting that Gallius Rax was saying that while his inner monologue was very clearly like, look, I need to say what they need to hear to make this yeah. thing work, but I don't think we're going to win and it doesn't matter because I just need to manipulate them to do what I need for the time being. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that was int- that was a that's that's an interesting sort of allegory that that takes place in the book. Um, that said, I don't know because of that or or whatever, but it was part of it. Um, I think of the three of these books that we've read, this one was pretty firmly my favorite. I felt that way too. I think it it does. Everything comes up to a head at that this one. Everyone, it all feels like the previous one were all set up for this one. Which, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, if it's going to be your third book, that's really what you want. And yes, it is one of the best and most chosen. It just ends and just does a good job at bringing all the stories that they had while still opening up for mm-hmm. other future stories, which we see in the movies and all that. Right. Right. So, so anyway, we're talking about how it, um, when they, when Temin and Sinjir get to, um, what was it Chandrilla? Was that the name of the, the planet 
where that's the... what that's why they were said Tendrilla is the, the initial place, and they yeah. also went to another one, but that's during the story. Uh, Nuxilla or the yeah, but, but the whole point was that they were. I mean, the specific location, other than one little uh, bit where Mon Mothma pulled some some fun political stunts with oh, with her see. opponent, um, the location wasn't actually that important. No. Um, other than they were there with the New Republic, right? So they were dealing with that, and they were hanging out with uh, Han and Leia, and that's how we got the story of uh, Leia's pregnancy and all of that, and, and um, the also, the baby that we will eventually know come to know as uh, Ben Solo, yeah, um, or Kylo Ren, if you will. Um, and but meanwhile, on back on Jakku, Nora and Jazz are just their escape pod just landed in the middle of the desert. They go wandering off like I don't know, pick a direction. Let's just start walking until we find mm. something, and eventually get waylaid and, and basically kidnapped by mm. by bandits or whatever. Um, yes. And 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 that point they got separated because uh, Nora was basically um, sold into slavery. And Jazz was was taken elsewhere because there's a bounty on her head by, um, you know, some some mob boss or whatever that that she owes money to. Was it the uh, Nima Hut? Was that it? Was ne- uh, maybe because she was in yeah. Nima's um, headquarters or whatever at one yeah. point. When yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it was Nima the Hut. Yeah, which is also an interesting um, character. I, I actually enjoyed Nima the Hut because yeah. she's. She's a hut unlike the the typical hut, right? Um, you don't see a lot of depiction of a variety of huts, um, but she she is a little yeah. bit different. Yeah, I think the most uh, hut, different huts we've seen depicted was in the Clone Wars series, where you actually see, is it was it Clone Wars or was it uh, Rebels? Well, we got we got um, additional huts in one of the cartoons, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember which one though, because we got what yeah. Z- zero the hut in, in that one. Yeah. Uh, and Nima's sort of an outsider amongst the huts, and so she hangs out here in at Jakku, which is sort of at the edge of explored space. Yeah. Uh, sort of just past Jakku is all this unexplored wilderness that nobody wants to go to because it's hard to navigate, and there's yeah. you know stellar storms and whatever. Yeah. So Jazz manages to. Um, see about her own escape right um she she actually because she's a, a what are the what's her, her her race called she's the same she's, thing that darth maul is what are they called zabrak 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 yeah so she's one of those and so they have that ring of horns around their head and so she escapes by breaking the horns off of her head uh, by slamming her skull against the the cell wall and then using her own horns and her fist as a weapon um, and from there is able to escape. And then Nora is rescued by, by Mr. Bones, who uh, was about to be you know, shipped off and, and sent somewhere else. And then she called out, oh, that's my droid. And they're like, oh, this is your droid. And so they just to torture her, they, they blew him apart. And then you got to actually have a, a section where you got Mr. Bones's uh, inner monologue as his systems came online and his uh, self-repair uh, programming kicked in and he put himself back together which actually i found to be really interesting um getting into inside mr bones's head yeah yeah and why 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 did you guys like it i've been talking too much 
I don't remember this part as much. I just remember it. I don't remember. I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Derek. I don't quite remember going uh-huh. into his head. I do remember him coming back online and helping out and being uh, sort of fighting off uh, between being violent, being violent, but also being kind. Mm. And that, that. So the thing that really stood out to me about this inner monologue from Mr. Bones is that he explicitly describes that he doesn't have to follow Temin's orders. He doesn't have to do what he's told. He chooses to because Temin is his friend, right? Um, and so it, it ascribes an actual level of sentience to droids like Mr. Bones that I don't that I don't remember seeing in Star Wars droids before. I mean, there's always sort of been been maybe a hint that oh is c3po you know sentient or is, is r2d2 sentient who knows you know they've been they've been around and, and never had their memory wiped for so long maybe they've become actual sentient living things uh, but, but when you get inside of mr bones's inner dialogue he absolutely is a sentient creature or at least he believes he is well that's the thing that for me i always got an impression that the droids were sentient mm. because they talk about rest- Putting restraining bolts to restrict them, uh, wiping their memory just to basically control them and all that. So I always thought, to me, that droids were sentient, but all those other things that, that people were putting on them was meant to control them and restrict them because they are droids. Well, that, but that becomes a whole other level of, of <laughs> horrific slavery. Then, like, and the well, good yeah. gu- and the good guys are doing it too. Like, they're wiping droid memories and whatever. Um, you know, yeah, and, that, and that is an issue I've always had with Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, because droids are my favorite. I always liked, like, I love R two D two. I love BB eight, C Trivio. I love the droids, and when I see that, it always breaks my heart. When I yeah. see them. Man creates life and then treats it like crap. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I found that to be interesting. And then Mr. Bones manages to, to free Nora and like takes on the entire uh, encampment by himself because he's Mr. Bones and that's what he and, and he's not even he's not even fully repaired. He's damaged and limping around and whatever. And he still manages to basically take out the entire encampment by himself uh, and free Nora. Um, meanwhile, back, uh, uh, with the New Republic, while all this is going on, Temin and, um, Sinjir are trying to convince, are trying to work their political angle to convince the New Republic to go to Jakku and deal with the, the, the remnants of the Empire that are there, or at least, you know, sneak away, uh, in a ship and go get them, go get Nora and, um, and Jazz and Mr. Bones themselves. Wait, because originally yep. they were going to sneak off in a ship. Not just a ship. <laughs> I mean, the Millennium but... Falcon. Right, and I was wondering if this was going to be the explanation of how the Millennium Falcon ended up on Jakku without Han. Right. And yeah. then it turned out it wasn't. Uh, they were caught, and the guards stopped them, and they wouldn't let them leave. And they were caught because... Uh, the... the Yeah, the Mon Mothma's yeah. political rival sent guards to stop them. Oh, oh, because they had a because he had a bug inside of their protocol droid. Yes. Inside of Leia's protocol droid. That's right. 
Um, and so that was all rather interesting because they could have gone off and they could have just saved Nora and them, but we wouldn't have gotten everything else. Uh, but we also maybe wouldn't have ended the Empire. Right. <laughs> well, because because would they have been successful at getting the the New Republic to vote in the second vote to go to Jakku if it hadn't been for Temin and Sinjir? Who knows? Mm. Right. And eventually, yeah. Sinjir gets gets a promotion. Just, right? He is now advisor as advisor to Mon Mothma. Right. Even though yeah. he doesn't like politics, doesn't well, doesn't like politicians. Which of course then then begs the question, like, in the new movies, Mon Mothma's still around. Is Sinjir, like, one of those background people that we never even thought about before? No. Well, Temin, Temin is in the movie. Yes. Oh, is he? Did I miss him? Yes. He is one of the pilots that you see in Force Awakens. He is played by J.J. Um, Abrams' friend. Oh, oh, that's him. Interesting. I never caught yeah. that that was Temin. Yeah, it it in, in the movie it's he's known as Snaps Wexley, and you Snaps. see him in the end. Oh. Yeah. which is what Wedge always calls him. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, see, thank you. That's that's fantastic. I never noticed that yeah. that that was Temin before. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a leverage vibe to that portion of the book, though, where they're trying to get it to steal the steal the vote back, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> because um, basically. Uh, Manmatha's political rival has kidnapped, uh, I'm just going to call it a gerbil, but a small free animal <laughs> that belongs to one of the senators, uh, one, of the, one of the children, and there's a few other things going on. Uh -huh. uh, and they definitely have to get the child, the gerbil, and uh, what's his name back? Sinjir's friend. Yes. Right? Yes. Have to get all three of those the one back. The one that's the slicer? Yeah. Oh. Uh before the vote, so that way the vote will go the way that they want it to go. Right. They think. Although, although they don't get everything back, right? Right. <laughs> they 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 actually found out that the the gerbil thing had actually what was it already been eaten or something? <laughs> and so they just lied to him that that they'd saved it um, in order to get him to to vote the way they needed. Right. Because in politics, apparently everybody gets dirty. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, so eventually they managed to manipulate things and get things on track to um, to get and, and and I rather enjoyed sort of the political maneuverings. I enjoyed seeing the savvy the savvy of Mon Mothma and Sinjir uh, in dealing with the politics and dealing with the rival and um, yeah. you know oh. Um, you know they needed a little more time before the second vote took place, but the but the rival ship was about to land, and then the vote would take place. And so um, she's like, uh, she was you know visiting on the ship or whatever. And it's like, oh well, um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to land. And that's when they found out that she had um, a single fruit like in her pocket, but it set off. You know there were like agricultural um, restrictions for entering this planet, so they couldn't bring this fruit to the planet, and they they had to stop and do an inspection of the entire ship. And that was her clever little way of, of, oh, oops, I guess the vote's going to have to wait a few hours, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it uh, was very, yeah, it was very fun seeing Mamata do all her exploits because you keep hearing how good she is in politics and all that, but you don't get 
really you don't see it in the movies movie. at all. Right? Oh, it's because they can't really can't really focus that much on that. Right. But in the book here, it was a good environment to be able to explore that and have yeah. fun with it. And and, and Could... oh, go ahead. And well, Chuck Wendig does a good job at portraying that. So yes, Tracy. Oh, I was gonna say particularly where. That the her rival just goes on and on about how how clever he is, right? <laughs> for 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 well, at least it felt that way to me. Uh, for a good portion before she like it just and before she finally reveals, oh yeah, that's why I have this fruit and hi. Uh, and that, you know, obviously that wasn't the only Mon Mothma maneuvering scene. She's sort of pulling those kinds of things in the whole thing. Um, she does come off a little bit to me like if Leia didn't have the military experience and had different priorities, um, Mon Mothma's personality and wit sort of reminds me of Leia. I can see that. I can see that, but... The- they're also known to be very good friends. Yes. So I can see them, that friendship developing because their personalities coincide they, they and well. go mesh well together. So, although, although they oftentimes don't have the same priorities and that leads them to, to bump heads. Yeah. Um, well, Leia is much more, my mother says, much more adventurous, much more go in, let's do this, and much more emotional, right. while Mamata is much more tactical strategic and thinking of what is the best plan rather than going what the heart calls even though the heart calls for still stuff well and, and, more... and mon mothma is a little bit more inclined to stick with a, a diplomatic solution longer than leia would like leia might try the diplomatic yeah. solution but she's going to abandon it a lot faster whereas oh, mon yes. mothma is going to keep trying at it because she's she's you know miss peaceful all the time yeah. um now, here's a Mon Mothma question. If I kind of get the timeline right, these books take place several decades before Force Awakens. Is that fair? That sounds... That would be fair because since since Ben Solo has just been born, he's, what, 20 in Force Awakens? Well, and Temin went from 16 to being... Um, what's his name? Yeah, that one, that one actor that yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, he's that's in, in a lot of 30s, stuff. So yeah, yeah. So so it's been a couple of decades at least. Yeah. How long is Mon Mothma's term term in office? Because she's still in charge in the Force Awakens, right? Yes. Like uh, she she was running the rebellion and then became the first chancellor or whatever of the New Republic and and is still the chancellor of the New Republic twenty some years later. Okay. I know in the States you have limits. <laughs> right. Here in, like here in Canada, someone who's prime minister, can, as long as they keep ele- be elected as prime minister, they will can stay as long as they want. Yeah, but how many how many like re-elections has she been up for? And she, she barely yeah. won this one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so I guess she's just that good at just barely scraping by, huh? Yep. <laughs> I guess so. And and look at her. She hasn't aged a day in 20 years. <laughs> if you look at the two movies, right? Yep. The, act, the actor they got her to play her in the new movies uh, looks the exact same age as the actor from the original movies. Uh, Antigiatics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make her... I'm not sure if Star Wars has those, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, they've got all kinds of prosthetics. Maybe they'd get really good plastic surgery, right? Maybe. <laughs> but you know, it's, she is there for a long time. But she is a no, she is a known commodity. I guess. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, they 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 through political maneuvering and and what have you, they managed to get the the vote to go their way, and the New Republic sends their fleet to take on the Empire at Jakku. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, dun, dun, dun. yeah. Meanwhile, so this battle is is raging uh, overhead. Uh, Temin has snuck his way onto an X-wing with with what is it, Phantom Squadron, which is sort of this unofficial like nobody's giving them orders. They just sort of do whatever they want because they all sort of snuck there uh, with Wedge, um, and they're doing their thing. And eventually, um, Nora and Jazz meet up and manage to get a ship and go to escape. And then don't escape because they find out about uh, Grand Admiral Sloan still being on the planet and where she is, and they go after her. Uh, and that's when we start to, and as this battle rages, that's when we start to find out about Gallius Rax's actual plan, which is which has been weird from the beginning, right? So it's it, yeah. it, it's pointing out that when it comes to Star Wars bad guys and whatever, they like to like lay, layer bad guy on top of bad guy on top of bad guy, right? Yes. So at the very beginning of the first book, Grand Admiral Sloan was was the villain that needed to be defeated because she was running what was left of the Empire. If you can take her out, the Empire is leaderless now that the, the Emperor is gone. Yes. Uh, and then it turns out uh, in the in uh, and it really hits it home in the second book that she was never actually in charge. She was a puppet for Gallius Rax, who was actually running the whole empire. Uh, by the third book, Gallius Rax is out in the open running things, but then we find out no, 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 <laughs> there is somebody who's actually controlling Gallius Rax, and he's just a puppet too. Uh, and the person uh, puppeteering Gallius Rax is Emperor Palpatine himself. From the grave. Back from the grave. And we don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know what's going on with Palpatine. Yeah. Because yeah, um, I, I don't think we actually see Palpatine. You know, we just talk, hear talk uh, other than in flashback scenes. I say there were some scenes where he's talking to, to, to Gallius Rax, but those might have been flashback. Yeah. There were scenes for flashback scenes where we lay out this plan as him. Because basically Gallius Nas is trying to establish... A contingency plan that uh, that the Emperor Palpatine has, because Emperor Palpatine, being the bright, conniving individual he is, knows that yes, he wants this empire, but he knows that empires will end at some point in time. He doesn't like that, but he knows it will happen, so he sets up a contingency plan of when that happens, and that right. is what Gallus Rex is. And, and, and the whole point of the battle at Jakku was not for the Empire to make a last stand and try to defeat the New Republic. It was really just a delaying tactic so the Emperor could get away and then Gallius Rax could get on a ship and follow behind. Uh, so they, yes. didn't, they didn't expect the Empire to win. They didn't care if the... I mean, I suppose that it would have been nice if the Empire win because then they could come back and still have an Empire. But the Emperor wanted to go off into somewhere off in uh, the unexplored space. There's something out there that, that he wants, that he needs, whatever. So he goes off into unexplored space. Uh, Rax is supposed to follow behind, except um, 
Nora catches Sloane and Sloane catches Rax and Sloane uh, between the between the three of them they manage to kill off Gallius Rax and Nora is injured and so Sloane gets a, a dying message from Gallius Rax about what's actually going on and then she gets on the ship and goes after the Emperor to be his second in command supposedly to take over for Gallius Rax yeah um, and that's more or less where their story ends um, Sloane has an opportunity for a moment of redemption and then you find out she was never really interested in redemption. She was just interested in in being in charge, like she thought, like she thought she should. She, she wants to run the empire her way, sure. But she wants to run the empire first and foremost, oh, <laughs> or yeah. or at least get as close to it as possible. Like she knows yeah. that if the emperor is still around, that's not going to happen. But she could at least be Grand Admiral again. Uh, but that means. The Emperor's still around. And there's hints of that in the, the last of these movies, but then then who is he and, and where is he and how did he survive uh, the second Death Star destruction? It's in, all in the air. Yeah. In the uh, Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars RPG in the mm -hmm. Age of Rebellion book, they actually talk and hint about uh, that the Emperor is alive. That he is hidden in within the galaxy, or rather, a clone of him is there right. to bring to uh, so he can restore this when he has a plan. Well, in the in the original uh, Star Wars extended universe from the novels that came after the original uh, movies, um, the Emperor survived that by by basically his spirit traveling from one clone to another after his body was destroyed. Yeah. Um, and so he could just sort of keep going on forever and ever, as long as his clones weren't destroyed. Yeah. Uh, but there, but they also explicitly said, until we establish that those things happened in the new continuity, um, you can't assume that those things happened. And ultimately, yeah. I guess we don't actually like the emperor was thrown down that shaft in the the original movies. Yeah. But I mean, it's the classic of you know you, if there's no body they're not dead right yeah. <laughs> so we didn't yep. see a body and he has the force he's incredibly powerful in the force yeah he could have just fallen a long ways and then you know floated himself down and gotten away too um, there's lots of also, explanations also we've seen force user become force ghosts so sure but now my big question is about the emperor is um, are they, are they going to use him in such a way in the last movie that explains Snoke to me? Because Snoke never makes made sense to me in the new movies. I'm not one of those people who dislikes the new movies. I love the new movies, but Snoke never made sense to me. And his, his defeat was so anticlimactic. So, uh, But if he was some stooge of the Emperor the whole time and, and playing his role, then okay, that maybe that works a little more. Me, to me... Uh, Snoke was a stepping point to make uh, Kylo Ren be Kylo Ren. Well, sure, I get I get his role in 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 Kylo Ren's story, but but what's his story? Like, how was this yeah. how was this powerful Force user sitting around in the in the galaxy this whole time, uh, and nobody knew it because he was really old. <laughs> so oh, he was. But maybe maybe it was always... some sort of maybe it was some sort of failed Emperor clone the whole time. <laughs> maybe. And there's been several powerful force users. I mean, Yoda was hidden 
for a long time sure. and was a powerful force user until Empire Strikes Back. And then, oh, look. So. Uh, but he wasn't hidden. He was in hiding. <laughs> and Sith are weird because there's only ever two. That's part of the that's part of the shtick. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I, that, I don't want to get distracted on my snow grant because it, it's not actually yeah. relevant to the story. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of how Nora's story plays out. I guess we skipped the whole thing about her husband, though, didn't we? Yeah, her husband <laughs> is there. Uh, she they try to settle where because she didn't quite like him because or rather she, I I got mixed feelings about how. That went. I wasn't too sure if Nora didn't like her husband anymore because of what he did on Chandrilla, or she didn't like Sloane because she thinks Sloane's controlled him. And but I know there was that whole mixing story, and then they were talking about it. Yeah, I guess my so my, my take on that was that she cared about him. Yeah. But her point was, I can't trust you because. Yeah. Back in the second book, he was being mind controlled by a chip in his brain uh, that that led to him being uh, actively involved in a in a terrorist plot to kill Mon Mothma. Um, yeah. And so the chip is still there. He ran away with Sloan. He's been running around with Sloan this whole time and helping her. Uh, and his goal was to to help Sloane in an effort to take out the actual big bad, right? Take out Gallius Rax and prove yeah. himself again and redeem himself. Um, and her idea was to kill uh, Gallius Rax so she could take over, that Sloane's was. Uh, yeah. Nora runs into him and is like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. Um, and, you know, I still care about you. I want to help you. But right now it's a life and death situation. And I don't know if you're still being controlled. I don't know if I can trust yeah. you. Um, and then ultimately it didn't matter because in the fight between Nora, uh, Rax and Sloan, he get uh, the, the husband whose name I forget, yeah. um, gets shot and ends up dying from, from the shot. Yeah. Brenton. Brenton. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and so that is our, our first death, right? Uh, did Mr. Bones die before that? or? Well, that's the first death that we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, uh, the first death we talked about. So tell us about what happens with Mr. Bones and how he dies. I'm trying to remember the exact events that happened for him to, to die. I just remember him exploding. Yeah. Well, so um, Temin ended up back on the ground no longer piloting things, right? And um, he was running away from, from uh, was, it, was it an AT-AT or an ATST? He was one of those the big giant walker things that the Empire yeah. has. He's running away from it. He runs into a, a squad of people who are trying to kill him. Mr. Bones shows up and comes leaping off of the top of the walker um, and, and saves Temin and yay, everything's better. Um, the walker suddenly explodes because one of the New Republic ships flies by and is shooting at it. Um, but one of the blasts went past the walker and hit Bones to the point that his parts are disintegrated to the point that he can't be rebuilt. Yep. And then okay. who was our third death? Quiz time. 
Nobody remembers the third death? That's because it happened off camera. I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, other than Gallus Rex. Right, right. But of our of our original party, uh, Jom, Jom also died. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jom, yes. Yeah. But it didn't happen on camera. It was like after yeah. after the battle was over, Jazz was like, yeah. hey, what happened to Jom? And then we got the story. Yeah. Right. And technically, we get the story through a camera. <laughs> through what? Through a camera. Through a yes. camera, right. So, so Tracy, Tracy, what happened to John? Um, the his crew is going to go. It was land on Jakku, right? Mm-hmm. In a in a ship, and there was a a missile that was coming to, towards it. So John ended up uh, jumping out of their carrier to inter- basically intercept the missile. Is my understanding? Right. He, he, like, jumped out in order, like, out in open space in order to hit the missile so it would explode early and, and save the rest of the crew. Mm. And yeah. so, he, so he has this sort of redemption arc, right? Because he was disgraced at, at the beginning of the story and, and separated from the rest of the group. And he kind of shows up. Like, John's story in this, in this was uh, the biggest sort of, you know, eh to me the whole you know. Because yeah. he kind of shows up halfway through. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. That was the guy that that was in the last book, like starting to build a relationship with Jazz. That was interesting because he's the goody good guy, and she's the yeah. the rough and tumble bounty hunter. And, uh, and then you know they split they split up, and he's disgraced, and he's trying to redeem himself, and he does ultimately in the end. But he be- showed up so seldom in this in the whole yeah. story of this book, and then dies off camera. Well, off camera, on camera, I guess, as Tracy was pointing out. Um, you know that that his whole story arc in, ended up kind of being a disappointment to me. Yeah, you you don't get the emotional attachment for him because you don't see him that much. So at the end, you're like, oh, he died. You kind of feel right. sad a bit for Jazz because you've you've followed Jazz throughout the whole story with her showing up on Jakku with Nora and all that, mm-hmm. but. So you sort of feel sad for her, but for him, you're like, okay. Although I had an emotional attachment to that one uh, random admiral that that they brought out of retirement for the New Republic to to lead one of their ships um, that ended up sacrificing herself to take out the the Super Star Destroyer, right? I I enjoyed that story. Like their ship was her ship was damaged. The crew was evacuating. Everybody was evacuating, and she suddenly had this brilliant idea. Oh, these new Republic ships—they put really strong tractor beams in it. I think I've got an opening here, right? Uh, and so she's right. gonna shows she goes down with the ship, but attaches the tractor beam to the Super Star Destroyer, which is strong enough to actually drag the Super Star Destroyer into the gravity of Jakku and crash it onto the surface of the planet. Which is why there's a Star Destroyer there in Force Awakens that they fly through. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm listening to this whole, this whole uh, battle scene, and, I'm, and at that moment when they're describing that falling uh, down to the surface, yeah. I, I stopped the, the book to tell my kids, oh, that's how it got there. Like They have yeah. no idea what I'm talking about because I'm listening to it in my headphones. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling them, you know, and, and that explains the, yep. the, the scrappers like, like Ray in Force Awakens who make a living on finding the scrap because it was all 
the stuff left over from this battle, which which uh, apparently then went on for some time. Like after all the the main players were gone, the leaders were gone, the battle was was over. The empire is going to lose, but they wouldn't give up. Right? They kept fighting well, and, and fighting and fighting. It went on for a long time. And, and the ceasefire was signed. Yeah, yeah, there was a ceasefire. <laughs> so, but... so, so it reminds me of what was it? The well, there's two: the Civil War, the mm-hmm. U.S. Civil War. And then was it World War II, the one island where... The Japanese uh, soldiers who didn't know the war was over? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, so so we get sort of this interesting epilogue, right? That um, Sloan is off in un, uncharted space uh, rendezvousing with, with the Emperor's ship. Um, you know, Dealing uh, with children. Right. Oh, yeah, because they have all the, these uh, brainwashed... Well, not brainwashed. Highly trained children that had been kidnapped for a bunch of time and run through this program, uh, and, and their leader is is Hux, who becomes important. Come Force Awakens, right? Right. Yes. Um, and then, um, speaking of children, Ben Ben Solo was born, and they sort of get that in the epilogue. Um, and in fact, it, uh, I enjoyed the bit when. Um, they were doing what was it that Mon Mothma wins the election and they were doing like the swearing in ceremony or whatever, um, and and they're like oh yeah and that's and it was right after that that Leia told Han that she was in labor and she had been for three hours <laughs> during the whole ceremony because she didn't want to miss it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and and then we sort of you know then every, I guess everybody else more or less sort of goes off and lives happily ever after so to speak was there any well one hand moment that i like was when after ben has been born and he's a bit okay i would say probably a, a few either a few weeks or a few months there's a scene about where he's not too sure what to do with mm. the baby and then leia said no he wants to snuggle and my one tip it was like where Han says, I smuggle, I don't snuggle. But right. he does. <laughs> it made me chuckle when I, when I read it. But yeah, it was nice just to see that little father-son moment. Well, and there's these nice little parenting moments where he's talking about how, you know, I'm never going to have the connection with the, with our son that you have because you have the force and you, you're connected to him in that way. And uh, and she explains to him that he can have his own connections and, mm-hmm. and it's just part of, like... That's a that's a thing that rang true to me as a father, right? Because um, mothers often have more of a connection with children, um, and you know, and so um, even you know, with without their explanation of the force, it kind of rang true to a to a fatherhood experience to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so and then it was over, and it sort of set up a bunch of stuff that. Like, okay, now we've got the aftermath of what happened, and there's still a lot of missing gaps. Maybe there are other novels or whatever that sort of fill in things. Because uh, Han spends much of this book, like, waxing or waning over the the, um, being separated from from, um, Chewie. And Chewie's got his own um, family back on Kashyyyk. And, uh, you know, how did they end up back together? I don't know. Um, I, I actually like really didn't want to, but then found myself really enjoying the little, um, interlude with Jar Jar, 
Um, I am not a Jar Jar fan, but that's that little scene of Jar poor poor old uh, aged Jar Jar sort of hanging out all by himself because nobody will hang out with him and acting a clown for the kids at these or this orphanage and making a friend with one of them and they're gonna go off and clown together and um, I thought that was sweet and fun and um, there were a lot of cool things I really liked about this book. I kind of wish there was more that would fill in the rest of the gaps. So, and I do wonder. I can't remember from the movies. We haven't met up with that. Um, oh God, the gun, the that uh, Lando puts aside yeah. for Ben. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. that was the whole thing. Lando yeah. Calrissian's uh, baby present to um, to to Ben Solo was. Yeah. He put okay. a gun on Cloud City for him and said, you know, when the time is right. Like, I'm not going to tell Han what it is, but we'll tell Han when the time's right and he's old enough, have him come to Cloud City and, and this locker has his his present for him. Uh, well, it's, a, it's a blaster rifle. Or a blaster, well, not a rifle. Lando is supposed to be in Rise of Skywalker, so that might come into into play. Maybe. We might we might, we might might go back to, Be- to Bespin in Cloud City. That could happen. Or maybe there were other... Uh, I, I got the impression um, that Chuck Wendig wasn't necessarily planning on stopping writing Star Wars uh, books. But Mar- uh, not Marvel, but uh, Disney um, let him go because people were upset about, I don't know, the, the gay character or the politics or whatever that was going on with, um, with these books. Is that... Yeah, is that ring true to what I understand? So there was a lot of already resentment over the books by some folks because of the gay characters and, and all that stuff like that. And then um, Chuck's always, and I need to kind of be like, I know Chuck a little bit just from the industry, So, but I don't know him. Like, I've never met him in person or anything like right. that. But he's always been known to be a bit of a, a person that's willing to swear on Twitter. Sure. <laughs> Uh, And so there was one specific thing that he said, and I forget the exact thing, that probably maybe had something to do with some current political events that Mm -hmm. had some swear words in it, and people use that to really go after him. I see. So, so somebody was complaining about the, the book or the or just just current politics. I think it was just current politics when when they eventually just let him go. Okay, and then he he ranted it back at him and. Disney didn't, I guess, didn't want to be associated with that. So. Well, yeah, he he said something. Uh, Chuck said something, and I think, yeah, I, I forget yeah. the exact words, but it was something like that. Okay, that was the final like can't things are gonna happen. Well, that's too bad. Too bad because I really liked. Um, I really liked this book. Uh, you know, the first book was, and I wasn't super fond of the first book because it felt a lot like let's just get to know a bunch of characters, and the story was almost secondary. Um, the second book was just so different than what I expected because it wasn't, didn't feel like a continuation of the story from the first book other than now I know the characters. Uh, but this book definitely felt like a continuation and I was on board with it and I already, I knew the character, like the other two books laid groundwork that made this book really good for me, um, in a way that, that I didn't enjoy the other two books quite as much. But this one I thought was really good. It hit, it hit its stride, and I was I, I kind of wouldn't hate seeing more to fill in some of those gaps, if not these characters, with other characters, just to see uh, what happens and where things go. But here we are. Although they, they've published other books. Maybe some of those stories are told, and I just don't know it. 
All right, I've talked a lot. Anybody else have any sort of last thoughts about this book? I really liked, um, again, just the how people can use the, these books and maybe other books from Star Wars is kind of the richness of the world, mm. um, in particular that the different races or groups of beings, because they're not all races, right. um, are... are are often pretty clear and distinct. Mm -hmm. um, not not all of like some of them are still very similar to each other, but uh, you know, talking through what a hut is like in this book and stuff like that, I think is really useful in trying to bring uh, out some of that uh, sometimes whimsy, whimsy, sometimes just fantastical part mm -hmm. of uh, backgrounds and uh, worlds. It does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of setting building that the movies don't have time to get into. Right. Yeah. Eric, last thoughts? I like, like the book and uh, like how it ended, like the, the story and look forward to see what the movie in Skywalker see or anything that's been presented, like maybe the gun or... Uh, show up. Yeah, I think that I think there was other books. I was trying to. I was. I, I know. Th I know there are some other books. I just don't know if they tell the stories of the things that we're asking about. Yeah, no. I know there was other books that, but I didn't confirm if there was anything that was between the gap of Empires and and Force Awakens. Right. Because it, it is, as we say, probably around a twenty-year-old, twenty-year gap. So. Right. I, I did, um, so one thing that occurred to me at one point when they were running around a Jakku, it did occur to me that we might get some hints about Rey, because she's about the same age that she would be born around this time. And yeah. then it occurred to me, we have a, ma a major character whose name is Rey in Rey Sloan. Yes. In this book. And so I did a little bit of reading on Rey Sloan. And then ultimately it didn't matter, right? Because by the end, she, Rey Sloan goes off into space. Yeah. Um, and and they're also spelled different because Ray Sloan is R A E yeah. as opposed to R E Y. Um, but then I but in in doing my research, I realized that Ray Sloan was an established character in Star Wars beyond these books. Um, that she's appeared in a bunch of the comics and stuff too. Um, and I don't maybe I missed it from maybe her original description or whatever. But um, if she was on Earth. Um, she would be of African descent as well. I didn't realize that she was a black character, um, which adds uh, a different sort of vi vision in my head than I was expecting for her. Did it mention in any of the books that she was black? I do remember the first book day when you first introducing it. I got the image in my head that she was a black character. Okay. Like, I believe she had black character, long... Long hair mm -hmm. that's wavy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I must have I must have just missed it in in that initial um, yeah. listen through. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, she ended up being a an interesting character who did not take the arc that I was expecting her to take. Right, I expected hers to be a, an arc of redemption, and it turned out that was never really what she was going for. Yeah. So. All right. If that's our last thoughts, I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. So it's time to say goodbye. We want to say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. 
And to those of you who shop using Amazon and DMs Guild from our affiliate links at thetomeshow.com. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SarahDarkMagic with an H and SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, or at The Tome Show. And you can find Eric at Eric M. Pack, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. Show notes and other great shows are at TheTomeShow.com. All right, that is our thoughts on Star Wars Aftermath Empire's End. Next up in October, we will be reading Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman, our first foray after all these years into Dragonlance, which I think were the first D&D novels published. I think Dra- Dragons of Autumn Twilight might have been the first D&D novel. I think uh, so. So until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. Oh, wow.